Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14. Now we've got a new format in this second season. We've got the great guys from Counterpoint Sale on board with this new format in which we have three people with me on a panel discussion talking about different topics in the hospitality industry. This time we're talking about does tipping have a future in the Australian market? Obviously, it's a big uh, a big way that North America does uh, and supports their hospitality professionals. And uh, we've got some great people on the panel today. Adam Miles, Tristan Rosier, Ed Randown-Stone. These boys have, have worked around Australia and also worked uh, in America as well, have some great insights into the industry. Uh, I'm going to really appreciate your feedback on this and see what you guys think. But uh, let's get into the show. All right. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast, episode 14, now powered by Counter. Um, Awesome to have you with another episode. And great to have our first proper panel discussion today talking about does tipping have a future in Australia? Great to have these three guys with me today. Um, Going around the room, I'll start with Ed Randall-Stone, Chef the Experience at Counter Pause. Uh, can't wait to hear what that actually means, Ed. Um, Adam Miles next to him, head waiter at Porteño uh, in Sydney, and Tristan Rossier, chef waiter and owner of the soon-to-be-opened Arthur at Surrey Hills. Boys, gentlemen, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. No All right. Now, because um, I want the audience to know a bit more about you guys, um, I wanted to go around the room and just do a bit of an origin story for a couple of minutes, just talking about your history in the hospitality industry, so we get an understanding of um, of where you're at, I suppose, as we go into this great topic of tipping. So, Ed, did you want to start off? Sure, yeah. I um, started in hospital when I was 15 at McDonald's, um, flipping burgers and and, um, working drive-through, and I graduated from there to a kitchen hand in a cafe pretty quickly and um, kind of ended, ended up working my way up to be a waiter and a bartender and a bar manager in mm-hmm. Christchurch in New Zealand. Yep. Um, from there, I was offered an opportunity to come to Sydney to work at Rockwell Bar and Grill back in 2010. Okay. Um, so that's, that brought me over here. I'm, I basically dropped everything and came to, to work at to work the bar at Rockwell Bar and Grill. Is that, is that because you knew about sort of the, the greatness of Rockpool at that point in time? I'd actually um, just been introduced to the brand and yep. um, by uh, the bar manager there at the time was from yep. Christchurch. He was back oh, in right. town visiting his family and uh, came into the bar where I was working and got loaded and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and offered me a job. And, um, wow. and I sent him an email the next day saying, were you serious? Because I was serious. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. So I, um, I showed up in Sydney a month later and um, kind of knocked on his door and he was like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll give you a trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I passed my trial, and um, just I was definitely, um, definitely really underskilled compared to the rest of the team. I was twenty one, right. and and um, I got worked really hard. I, yeah, of course. It was you know Friday, Friday dispense um, bartending, and it was just it was just really really hard work. I, yes. got, I got the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. Um, and that was a really good experience. I became a, a much better bartender really quickly, <laughs> um, yep. but ended up moving away from the bar and onto the floor there and um, being uh, a, a senior waiter on the floor. So, okay. Um, working a section um, on the main floor. And from there, I ended up calling the parts, actually. 
So the, um, for the last year of my two years at Rockpool, I was the expediter. I was calling the pass. Nice. Um, which was the hardest hardest job I've ever done, hardest thing I've ever done, um, and uh, also also some of the most exciting and, and fun work, um, but also certainly the most pressure I've ever been under in my life. Yeah. Because how many how many seats do they have at that venue? We were um, doing about three hundred and thirty covers in the restaurant plus okay. plus the bar next door um, on, yeah, a, on right. a Saturday night, and yeah, so calling the past there was was like a, a four person job, um, yes. and we had a, a pretty pretty rigorous system um, yeah. <laughs> that worked pretty well. Yeah, yeah and we, um, everyone gets the right food. Yes, more more, more most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I once made a, a single mistake of, of moving moving the order of two dockets on it um, because I, to me it looked like the right thing to do and I checked with Chef but he, he didn't answer me and I just assumed I was right. Oh no. That, that decision cost $1,600 <gasps> and we threw all the food in the bin for a whole table of 12. Oh uh, my yeah, lord. Gosh. Yeah, and had to send it all again. That was the learning curve, yeah. Wow. Actually, okay. actually um, guy called Graham was across the pass from me at the time um, who's gone, gone a long way in the industry as well. He's yes. head chef at Chin Chin Sydney now. Oh, wow, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah right. Um, anyway, I, I, I um, burned out a little bit after two and a half years of Rockpool. Um, sure. I was kind of working 11 shifts a week and was partying as well. Yeah. Um, I moved to New York for 180 days, two lots of a 90-day visa waiver. Uh, and and uh, worked, for, worked for tips in a, in a little cafe in um, Prospect Heights. And in a dive bar in the Lower East Side, yeah, um, which was disgusting. I was right. washing glasses by hand. It, it was like, right, yeah, dragging trash through leaky toilets, and like it was, it was gross. But, yeah, um, yeah, quite also a bit of fun. Yes, um, and uh, didn't didn't end up getting sponsored in New York, so came back to Sydney and took an opportunity um, at the grounds of Alexandria. An old manager of mine from Rockpool was managing there at the time, and. Ended up being a squad of us that were ex Rockpool, about six maybe, um, wow. working at the grounds. Uh, I managed the potting shed when they opened that next door, um, yes. so I was the bar manager there. Yeah, right. Um, and ended up being kind of beverage manager for the grounds, um, taking care of all beverage that wasn't coffee. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so that was my that was my role there. Because that's when it was really up and coming, right? We, yeah, we went time. from we went from sitting a table every three minutes to a table every minute in the year that I was there. Yeah, in yeah, the cafe. Right. So okay. it was it was crazy. Yeah. It was a crazy time. Okay. There was li- lines around the block every day when we started. When we opened the door, there'd be a line already, and and we'd fill the restaurant from that line um, mm-hmm. by seven thirty a.m. and then just full full all day. 40, okay. 40 minute turn time. Crazy. Just pounding pounding the pavement, yeah, turning over your section. Yeah. yeah, it was so busy. Wow. I remember going there, and a friend of mine, Damien, used to work there years ago. And I would go, and it was just packed out, like mm. insane. Damien yeah. trained me. Oh no way! Yeah, he was oh. he was the um, second in charge at the time when I started there. He trained me out. I think that aged him about ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was uh, forty, but he looked way older. Yeah. The best and worst venues do that all the time. Sure do. And then uh, obviously. After the grounds, what did you do from there? Yeah, I think I've gone over my. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I, I wasn't um, timing it. It's okay. It's all right. I love telling my story. Uh, I, went, I went, went from the potting shed to Dead Ringer. I um, went from a kind of middle management position at the grounds to uh, the restaurant manager at Dead Ringer for their right. first year of opening. Okay. Um, and ended up kind of parting ways there after about a year. Um, yeah. For various reasons, and okay. uh, I took a, a three-month consultancy at Sydney Seaplanes, um, which was where I first encountered um, Counter, so to right. speak. Yes. Um, so I um, was the consultant that kind of um, put together their hospitality operations, such as yeah. it was, and yeah. trained a team and um, 
kind of spun that up from nothing at very short notice, which was a, an interesting project that yes. I probably wouldn't do again. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really good experience, and I loved. Um, and you know, that's where I first got to work with Counter. So I, the team um, at Tech Pantry were our consultants. Mm-hmm. They installed all the Counter, and I administered it from Sydney, Sydney Seaplane's point of view. Um, and got to know the Counter guys a little bit through that project. Yes. And so. Um, they asked me to apply for a job um, when I was finished up that consultancy. Well, meanwhile, I was working part time at Hubert as a sommelier. So that was the that's the last part it's of my part time. <laughs> part time so yeah. two nights a week. Yeah, just no pressure, no fear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shut up! <laughs> Yours is as good. Um, it, it, I've been at, so I've been a counter about a year and a half now. I've, oh, wow. um, taken on the uh, role of shift experience, which yes. I. I, I Named my title myself. Yes, um, I, it's, of course. It it's, it, like it. it's kind of a play on um, customer experience CX, uh, which right. is a very kind of software term that I wanted to just soften and play with a little bit, right. and so I put it back into a hospitality. Um, when I grad- when I left Rockwell Bar and Grill, the general manager wrote me a very nice written res- written reference re- reference that yeah. called me uh, Chef de Range, is, wow. is in, which is like the super super French. Um, ancient way of describing a, an expediter, a, an, yeah. a, an expediter. Yeah. Yeah. so I, um, I kind of played on that a little bit and here I am I look after uh, the, the experience of all customers who use counter right okay so it's a big and varied role it's big and varied yeah yeah but big it's also it's also quite a new role at counter so yes. um, I, it, I'm very much making it up as I go along and yeah, sure. um, trying to trying to find opportunities okay. to, um, to improve yeah. well done you thank you all right Adam Go for your life. Don't mind. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, I guess looking back, I guess it's always easier to see the path that you kind of came through. I sure. I grew up in hotels, like big accommodation hotels. With my parents, they um, they used to buy hotels, do them up, work them, and then sell them or sell the leases on those things, uh, which was weird. I was only small at the time, but I mm-hmm. I left there. Obviously, went to school. I was only little. We got out. They got out of hotels when I was quite young. I was about ten. Uh, went back to owning their own small little businesses and things, which I worked bits and pieces in, very small, hospitality-driven supplies, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to love working in this little cafe down the road. I just wanted money, so I always used to go down there and bug them, and they're like, yeah, fine. I used to do the dishes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I didn't love it, but I thought, you know, this is a bit of me. Like, I, I, can, I can do it, and it's not too hard to do. Yep. Anyway, left... Left doing all that, went to bars. I worked at the Oaks Hotel in Neutral Bay for a, a quite a while, just kind of at the end of my school. Um, right. Did my HSC and thought I better do something serious. So I went into um, learning finance, got a job with BMW, worked with them, but my friends owned Portenia. Right. So we were old friends from dancing and we used to love rock and roll music and we always used to go out on the weekends. I didn't know they owned a restaurant at the time. They owned a place called Bodega. And uh, it, it was a restaurant that I had been to when I was 19, 20. And I thought, oh, it's pretty cool. It's the like first cool restaurant I've ever been to. It yeah. wasn't a Chinese restaurant on the corner of the street yep. kind, of, kind of place. Yep. You know, it's a little bit fancy. They've got an actual wine list, like yeah. all this cool stuff. I felt cool going in there. Yeah. Um, Bodega was hot stuff at the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah. last, last night we had the 12th birthday. So for a restaurant to last 12 years, I think, in Sydney, that's not the... Biggest, craziest place, but kind of, I guess, groundbreaking at the time that it started. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't really that kind of dining, like, brash, loud, mm. heaps of different plates, crazy flavours that no one really understood. Yes. It was definitely a little bit more formatted, but I, I think they've done really well. Long story short, I started working at Portenio. 
I kept bugging them and said, hey, I really want to work at the, at the restaurant. We don't hire friends, thanks so much. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's nice. Wow. Anyway, about two weeks later, Sarah, one of, the, uh, one of the owners, called me and said, hey, we really need help. Do you want to come and help? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. Came in, was hosting. Didn't really know my way around a formal restaurant. Like, I knew bars, I knew cafes. I didn't really know... You know, I guess there's a lot of expectation when people are spending a lot of money. Of course. Uh, at, at a prominent restaurant in Sydney, you, yeah. the expectation is built before they come in. So to deliver that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of just stayed in the background and just did whatever needed doing, polishing glasses, moving things, you know, setting tables, all that stuff, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was working six days a week for them and five days at BMW. So like, again, double shifts, split shifts, so running across town trying to get dressed. Yeah. But they offered me a full-time job. They said, why don't you get out of BMW and come here? Like, you could take it seriously. You obviously enjoy it. And to me at the time, I thought, wow, I actually really do enjoy it. Like, mm. why am I waiting? At that time, we were closing at 2 in the morning. Why am I doing it to myself? But obviously, there's something I love about it. And I yeah. like coming in and I like the interaction. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And that's what I loved. Yeah, right. I realized that, um, I guess at that time, for me, it was fulfillment that I didn't really get in my day job, the financy side of things. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of recognition, like, hey, how you doing? There was mm. this kind of, not only from the staff, but definitely from the consumers as mm. well. They had a good time. They were happy. It wasn't like going into the finance guy's office, oh, what about this contract? No, mm. get out. Like, it, it wasn't really that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, heated and it gets crazy in a different way, but it's always moving, and I think that's what I loved about it. So I started working for them. In 2015, I got uh, a green card to live in the States, and a friend of mine from Sydney, Louis Tikaram, who used to work at Long Grain, he was the head chef. Wow. He, we have LPs down the road, well, it's part of our group as well, and yeah. I was in there helping out doing something. He said, oh, you're going to America. I said, oh, I haven't really made any plans. He said, why don't you just come and see Louis, blah, blah, blah. When you go over there, you can meet him, see what happens. It'll be a job straight away. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Went over there. The general manager kind of got canned within the first few months of opening this big restaurant. I took over as a senior management kind of position, and I was there for about a year. And it was really, really interesting to wow. just see, I guess I'll lead in here, but the conversation between tipping and things like that in America compared yes, to here, as you would totally know as well. Like, yeah. Really looking forward to your point of view on that. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I think that um, changed my perception of it as well. Anyway, decided I wanted to come back. I like the Portenia group. I really, like, I, I really do. And uh, they offered me a job as soon as I came back and kind of took it with both hands. And here I am. Wow. Yeah. What a great story. It's yeah. really interesting to hear the inside perspective on that time at Portinho when it was just new. I'd just moved to Sydney and, like, you, you guys really were rock stars. Like, everyone, yeah, like, it was the hottest place in town. Everyone wanted to come and spend their money there. And, um, yeah, it was... It, like looking at that team from the Rockwell Bar and Grill team that yeah. I was a part of, it was like, I want to I work with those guys. I want to be yeah, like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're having fun more. when they yeah. work. Yeah. 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 And they're like chopping up big bits of meat and like, yeah. um, kind of caring, caring just as much, but um, just taking it way less seriously. Yeah. Different yeah. angle though, to the same And thing. I think that's what got me excited working with them. For, like it wasn't an ego driven thing as much as people I mean, people from the outside will always see it. But even to this day, they're there every day. Yeah. Ben and Elvis are there cooking, and they're not out of their kitchen. I know we have other restaurants, but they're always there. Or yeah. they always have something to say about it. And Joe, the main owner, or not the main owner, one of the other owners, Ben, yes. Elvis, and Joe, they, um, they're always working together. And I think that's, it can't happen in 
massive franchise and things like that, I, I feel it can dilute if it's not done, which you obviously yeah, are part most of. Definitely. Yeah. It can dilute, and Joe is there all the time talking about the wine, how we're going to change it, how we're going to drive, and, and kind of stay relevant. Mm. I think that's really, really difficult, mm. uh, especially with so many places opening in Sydney. This, I mean, Sydney's becoming Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne yes. has always been seen as that really cool, trendy, new, yeah. Yeah. you know, edgy. Sydney, I think, in the last few years anyway, has really done a good job of not matching it, but having an identity of its own. Yeah, certainly starting to come through. You're yeah. starting to gain some respect. Yeah, you cool know wine what I mean? bars, things yeah. like that. You don't have to go and have a big meal to get a good bottle of wine. Yeah, that's you it. You can just duck on in, have a snack, have a wine, go. Yeah. Like, it's, I guess, a bit more of a... I don't know, it's probably not right, but a mature way of dining. Like, or, yeah. or, a, or a, you don't have to go out and get wasted. You can go and have one glass of really cracking wine. Mm. People are aware of, I guess, quality. There's mm. so much more. You can go to a crack a little wine bar and have something you've never had before. You don't have to go and get polarised by a wine that's in Rockpool Bar and Grill. That's mm. a Bible. Oh, You're like, oh, Yeah, shit. like, what do I choose? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. frightening. It's like, that scares people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you can try something from, I don't know, anywhere, the Jura, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know what that was like. I didn't mm. have to commit to a whole bottle. I've got this little taste. They're happy to show me. They're happy to educate me. Yeah, stop it. Really, really dangerous. And days recommendation, isn't it? You yeah. know, from the floor staff. So that's important. Um, Leads really nicely into you, Tris. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, yeah. thank you. That was cool. Tris. I guess, how far back do I go? <laughs> <laughs> I was um, born, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I guess I, s- I got into kitchens when I was, like, 14 years old, just as a kitchen hand. Okay. My, like, grandmother's friend, son, owned a restaurant and needed a kitchen hand, so I wasn't doing too well at school, so I just went and started doing that on the weekends. Yeah, okay. And then it became every single day during the school holidays as well, like, no days off, and it was just, like... Mm-hmm got the taste of earning my own money which was like 10 bucks an hour yeah but still awesome for that time empowerment um, yeah. yeah exactly mm-hmm. so did that and then uh, after like a few months of that they start saying oh you cut this bread or here you peel these potatoes and then it just leads into like hey the chef didn't show up on that section now you're just going to do that and we've mm-hmm. got someone else to do the the pole wash or whatever so yeah, like well. it just leads into those things like you, you you've got pegs before you can do this mm-hmm. um so after i did that for about 12 months i decided that uh, cooking was something i wanted to do so i went and got an apprenticeship um and was in a club in the sutherland shire i worked at the st george motorboat club for like five years um and that was really a great experience because uh, such a big venue we had like four function rooms in a restaurant that sit, sat 300 people so we had two kitchens and I got to work every single section in the five years. So like as far as grounding, it's like pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, got to run the pastry and like do functions and yeah, every, every single section. It was really, um, it really grounded me and really got to do stuff on mass as well. So like, you get really good at cutting onions when you go to cut like 40 kilos of them. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, which I think, yeah, that really sets you up to be... It's good formative training, I think. Yeah, um, I would say so. I've seen you cut onions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, after that, uh, I left there and went and worked in completely polar opposite. I uh, went and worked in a little winery in the Southern Highlands um, where there was uh, a husband and wife who were both chefs who used to work at Aria. And before wow. that, they worked in London with Marco Pierre White. So they were really yeah, right. up there chefs that got sick of Sydney and then went down to Bowel and then opened a restaurant in a winery called Stones. 
and I worked there for about a year and a half as like a sort of sous chef to them, mm-hmm. and that was that was fun for other reasons. It was like getting to see a small business operate, and yes. um, like they lived upstairs, and their kids were always running around the kitchen. So I would like cook their kids dinner sometimes, <laughs> and then like <laughs> get ready for service and cook for the restaurant, and then the chef, she'd be upstairs bathing the kids to put them to bed and I'd be like, oh, I need help and she'd come back down and help me. <laughs> I was just crazy. Um, so I did that and then... Um, did um, that make you understand produce more? If I can just buddy. Yeah. Because um, you're in a smaller scale and you're obviously in a, in a more... Well, instead of doing region. like, oh, you do the onions for an hour. Yes. It's like, now you do everything. It's a little right. bit of everything. So um, that was, yeah, that was um, definitely a whole other thing to learn. Like I got to deal with more uh, expensive meats that I'd never touched before and all that kind of stuff um, and just way more responsibility mm-hmm. um, which at the time you think you don't think about it too much because you know you're still young at that point but now you look back you're like wow that really helped me learn how things operate and where things need to be and, and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and after that I thought well it's probably time to take things a bit more serious so I went and applied applied for key they didn't call back so I applied for S and S called back and the next day I went for a meeting with Peter Doyle and he wow. gave me a job so amazing how was but, that was that walking into I'm sure you guys have had you know situations where you walked into interviews of legends or people that you know bef- like very much before that Peter would be one of those people totally <laughs> how was that to be honest I was a bit naive at the time right like, I realised at that time, I didn't know so much about the hats, like, yeah. or the top restaurants. It was like, I went to the good food guide. I just figured out kind of what is this thing, and I was like, okay, I'll go apply for some of the top ones. Wow. And then um, meeting Peter, it was probably I was a bit naive to realize just how yeah, like how prominent it was yeah, how prominent for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but when I had my first shift in the kitchen, I really realized like. I'd been cooking at six, six years at that point and I thought, oh, I'm pretty good. Mm. I was fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, the level of detail in there and, like, I was basically back on the larder section, like, from the ground up. They, mm. not in a Ramsey kind of way, they break you down and build you back up again. But yeah, it's more yeah, just yeah. like, this is the standard. You meet it or you're out. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like an abusive kitchen or anything like that. Okay. Although he did like to call you an asshole occasionally. Right. <laughs> but there's nothing thrown at you. No, 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 no. Okay. only like <laughs> tissues, like wet tissues. He'd wipe the plates, <laughs> dip the tissues in vinegar and wipe the plates and then he'd, if you, you know, oh, piss him off, he'd just chuck them at you. But um, that was probably, I look back and mm. I were talking before about like a specific time in a certain restaurant, mm. that window of like six months where yes. that team was just awesome. Yep. It was like freaking awesome. That, was, awesome. that yeah. was that was one of the highlights of my career for sure. Like we had at the time, Josh Nyland was the sous chef, Adam Wolfers, who's doing the Edelac pop-up, he was a sous chef as well. And um, my friend of mine, Tapwash, owns a restaurant called Bang in Surrey Hills. Um, there's just like a lot of people one of the girls Steph she's working at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in, in London now as a sous chef like wow. everyone who was there at that time has just gone on to do yeah, really, really cool, cool stuff. stuff and my mate Mike who has farmhouse mm-hmm. he was working there alongside me so um, yeah it's just it's really really cool time there um, and Peter Doyle is like he's definitely a, the name legend like he's yep. a total legend yep. um, his approach to food is insanely good and um, a really nice guy and then after that, uh, I went travelling to Canada, and then when I came back, I went to Biota. I worked there for like a year and a half, I think. 
Um, and that was, that was a pretty crazy restaurant. At the time we had barely any staff, mm-hmm. but we were pushing for the two hats. And I was, the, uh, I remember the reviewer, we knew the local reviewer for Good Food Guide, and she came in when it was the weekend that uh, Taste of Sydney was on. Mm-hmm. And um, James and the head chef were both in Sydney selling croquettes. And then she came in for lunch, and I was in, <laughs> running the kitchen with like two apprentices, and I was like, oh shit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, it all worked, and that's the year we got the two hats and won Best Regional Restaurant, so that was, um, it was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I got offered a job through Peter Doyle, funnily enough, yeah. um, to open Farmhouse Restaurant with my mate Mike, who I worked with at S. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a bit of history on that restaurant was um, the owners were two builders and a designer who decided that would open a 35 seat restaurant in King's Cross and right. oh, 35 square metres sorry and uh, 20 seats and that was like a side project for them they were all going to invest 50 grand each uh, the guy would design it and they would build it after work like from like <laughs> 4.30 in the afternoon until 9 o'clock at night that would be in there building this sort of thing it took them 12 months Okay. Um, and then they're like, shit, now it's nearly done, we need to hire some staff. Mm. So um, one of the guys, one of the builders, went to school with Lana Doyle, who is Peter Doyle's daughter, wow. and asked her, oh, does your dad know any chefs? Of course he does. <laughs> so he asked her out. And, um, and then, yeah, we got the call, and wow. sort of Mike called me one day, hey, I've, I've got this restaurant thing on, come to Sydney, because I was a boater at the time in Bell. Yeah, yeah come to Sydney and help me just do this thing. I was like, okay. It's totally so, how Mike talks. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, like, we're all good. Let's go. So I drove up to Sydney. Um, we went shopping. He had a list of stuff. He'd written a menu. We were cooking out of his mum's kitchen. Um, and these three guys turn up and we cook them dinner. And they're like, mm. all right, guys. So uh, how much money do you want? And we're like, well, I don't know. Like... <laughs> And I'm like, what have you got me into? He's like, oh, so it's the restaurant they're opening and they want us to be the chefs. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then they told us how much we could get and there was more than what I was on. So I was like, let's do this thing. So, right. yeah, um, we ended up opening Farmhouse in 2013, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, that was another big learning curve. Like back to running a small restaurant again, but mm-hmm. from the ground up and something is pretty unique, set mm-hmm. menu only, really, really small. Mm-hmm and um, having to do to do everything um, but yeah at that age looking back now or at the time I sorry I should say at the time it was we thought we were doing really cool stuff now we look back we think god how did we how did we do that like what we, shit we were serving and, mm. um, but you know you gotta learn and Hope, like it was kind of good that we didn't really publicize ourselves much so we could kind of hide in the background and yeah. learn everything and yeah. then once we got to become good yeah and mm-hmm. then become good mm-hmm. and it's been running for five years now wow um and it's rated number one on TripAdvisor, which is pretty good in new south wales so we're really busy all the time yeah i'll be all right um, yeah and then after that i went away to canada again for six months for a shitty snow season, which failed, and I got headhunted for the <laughs> Dead Ringer, which is where I met Ed. Right. Um, so I was the head chef at Dead Ringer for two years. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think the next project is Arthur, which we're opening in mm-hmm. Surrey Hills on Burke Street. Uh, we'll be opening in October, and I guess that's a product of like working in other restaurants and saying, oh, "I'd do this differently," and Ed would know this firsthand. It's like we had so many conversations, like. 
well, if I own this restaurant, I'd do it like this, or I would change that. And then after a while, it's like, well, you better put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, for you sure. You can't just keep talking trash. And like, <laughs> 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 yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's why we decided to, to, to go out on our own. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel very humble to be here with um, three people with such great experience, so it's awesome. So with such varied experience, definitely in different countries with America and Canada are in there as well. Um, tipping doesn't really have a culture here in Australia. Um, it's very different. We have, uh, you know, more of a award wage kind of mentality through most, some of the industry. Um, obviously, a lot's coming out the last year or so about, you know, how much people are working and how much they're getting paid or not getting paid. But tipping really has its origins in America um, for, for about 100 years and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's actually interesting to note that only seven states out of the 50 in America actually have a minimum wage component for, uh, for floor staff, um, uh, which, which is, you know, what, about $10 an hour or something like that in America at the moment. Yeah. In New York State. Yeah. It was but, um, in California. It was nine, just under nine fifty. It's like nine thirty something. Yeah. Time, yeah. But I think currently in like Washington State, it's about two dollars, just over two dollars. That's the base hourly rate for someone who's working in the floor of a restaurant. So, I guess I want to understand where you think tipping is currently, um, at the moment. I suppose in America, especially, and then and then Australia as well. Um, it. Did you start with you, if that's right? Sure. Yeah, I um, kind of quite eagerly follow the story in the news about um, Denny Mayer and Union Square mm. Hospitality Group um, yeah. starting to do, um, I think they call it hospitality included rather yes. than tipping. So they um, really went through a dramatic change at some of their, their restaurants, um, yes. and there's been a lot written about that, and um, they went through some real struggles as well mm. and lost a lot of really important staff. And, yes. Um, it... it, it is not clear yet whether that's going to work. Um, but I also think it's super clear to everyone um, at scale when you when you look at the statistics on tipping that it's um, it's really broken. Yes. Um, it's really racist and sexist. Mm. Um, you know, w- women always get more tips and, and black people get less tips. Correct. And um, that's, that's pretty crap. Mm. Um, and it's also kind of this weird situation where the diner has the responsibility of paying the rent of the server and the business owner is nowhere to be seen yeah. in that arrangement and it's like what's going on here that's just not that in it doesn't make sense in the customer's best interest and mm. um i think um so i, I hope that uh, the change will I, I yeah i hope the change will be driven by the consumer in, mm. in america who actually just rejects the culture um because because it's crap and biased yep um, in Australia, that is um, much kind of more more varied. Like at, at Rockwell Bar and Grill, I earned nearly half my salary um, again in tips, and that was absolutely critical to my livelihood. And mm-hmm. if I hadn't, I would have gone to another restaurant where I would. And right. I imagine that's been the case in, um, for a lot of people in, in hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that the, that tip portion of their wage is. is really really important to them mm-hmm. and their livelihood mm-hmm. um, but it was also really inconsistent not every customer leaves a tip some customers tip 20% some customers tip 20 bucks on a thousand dollar bill and yeah. Um, yeah. they think they're being generous and yeah. um, they genuinely mean it mm-hmm. when they hand you that 20 and they think they're being generous and yes. you're sitting there as a waiter going that's a you know 0.2% tip buddy yes. like that's, yes. that's nothing yes. um, so there's all these kind of 
imbalances and disconnects um, everywhere in that whole kind of system, I think. Mm. Um, and then especially when you look at the kitchen, you know, because we used to split our tips to some small extent with the kitchen, but they were getting like 30 bucks a month, you know, like t- yeah. poultry, wow, poultry okay, little right. gesture. Yes. Um, and they were also working, you know, hideous hours on, on apprentice wages and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's, it, it, but they were my pets. They were just as skilled as me, just yep. as educated. Um, mm-hmm. They lived similar lifestyles mm-hmm. as much as they, you know, and um, I was earning like, double easily what they were earning um, yeah. and they're half the experience of that restaurant they're the food that you guys yeah. sell that's yeah. <laughs> couldn't have done it without yeah. them that's sure yeah. shit yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's that's kind of the lay of the land is the way mm. I see it um, it's it, it's really fragmented yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. definitely Adam what do you think I see <clears throat> exactly the same as that on when I was in the states the like we were saying the wage was about nine dollars something yeah like early early nines uh, which they were talking about increasing to 11 and everyone was losing their mind. Oh, my yeah. God, these are yeah, pay increases. Yeah, it was a big thing, wasn't it? Was like, yeah. Coming from here, earning mid-20s, early 20s, and then getting tips on top, I was like, well, $2 doesn't mean much to me. Yes. But it's such a big component to them. Like, a $2 increase is huge. Mm. Uh, but I was noticing, again, the tipping culture in the States was going from, t- I, when I first went, 10%. Now it's 15 18 20%, and it sits mm. on the bottom of the bill. And some of the waiters that I was managing at the time, they were they were literally, and I heard stories about it, and I never had seen it, but one of them chased the, the group of people out, going, oh, you didn't tip, but they were from, I don't know where they were from, but they, obviously it's not part of their culture, but it yeah. is the American culture. Uh, and it was very, to me, I was a bit like, oh, that's cringeworthy, because you wouldn't imagine doing it here. You would never imagine chasing a table out, going, hey, you only left five bucks. Yes. Okay. I'm yeah. literally cringing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it definitely had a thing to do with the service there. And I remember some of the waiters would, the bill would be paid, and they would be like packing up if it was the last table of the night. My mentality is that table needs to be looked after until they leave the building. 100%. Yes. It doesn't matter. They need to know where the toilet is. They want a glass of water. They yes. want whatever. Yes. And they're like, yeah, but they're paid. That tip component has been paid. I've been paid. I'm done. Right. That's like, done. Wow. Wow. But again, that whole mentality or, or the business model or, or how it's been done in America with the consumer funding the staff, it's crazy. Yeah. You, you, I, I mean, looking at it from here, imagine you guys being solely responsible for the staff mm. uh, take that consideration out of a business yeah. I know for us our staffing cost is astronomical it's high like yes. we, and I would assume most restaurants around town it is very high labour heavy you yes. might have totally. 8 in the kitchen totally. you have 12 on the floor mm. so you're looking at 25, 20 to 25 person for a 130 140 seater kind of yeah. thing it's yeah. a lot of people to have on yeah. um, to take that component out and put it under the guest I just couldn't imagine I don't think that would ever work People do say though that the American system incentivizes better customer service. And like do you do I'll, we I would yeah, I would disagree with that. For this reason. Because yeah. if uh, you have two waiters and they've both got a section yes. and that that section's got all the table's full and this one's empty, mm. that person with the full section doesn't want the other person to help because then they're going to want to share their tips. Yeah, true. They're against each other. Get yes. out of my section. It's Alter. a rivalry. Yeah. It's yeah. complete. It's like, it should be one cohesive team working together. And exactly on that, I'm sure you saw it in the States as well. 
Here, with our, we run on a, a point system, essentially, so there's a breakdown. Okay. The more, I guess, experience and the more responsibility you have, the more you get tipped out and it right. trickles down. Okay. Uh, in the States, how they were talking where I was, how they wanted to do it was, like you're saying, your section, your tips, yeah. then you tip out your busboy, you tip out dot, right. dot, dot. Okay. So it's on your discretion. So if you get $200, for example, the busboy helped you a lot, you give him 50 you might only take 100 of the 200, but you're responsible for paying the other people. Yeah. I think that can be biased as well when you were saying sex is bi- uh, yeah. however gender specific. Yeah, they have so much control. Exactly right. Yeah. And I think as a, as a manager or something like that, you want to stop, I, I want to stop any form of that behaviour. Like, yeah, 100%. Totally. You stole my locker, like you're not paying me. Oh, yes. I'm going to give you less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Completely away from the diner, completely away from any guest experience. It's a personal issue. Yeah. And it's, it's wrong. I, I think it's really hard to build a culture where that is separate and work is work. So what I tried to introduce there was exactly how we do it here. Everyone gets a percentage. It doesn't matter. It's pulled, and we percentage it out so that everybody is looked after fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was seen really controversially at the time, but it was an Australian-owned company that I was working for. Right. Okay. So the bosses understood it, but the waiters were like, "Well, this isn't how we've ever done it." Yeah. But it worked. I mean, it. it there you, was. You help. successfully rolled out that change yeah, in that different say. system, and yeah. your team in, in this in this restaurant specifically, yeah, and it, it was. I'm not sure the legalities, but I know that you can't take tips off premise and things like that in mm. the states. If you have a head office, everything stays on site. Mm-hmm. We actually had to pay, uh, well, you would pay a waiter to actually sit with you at the end of the night and mm. go through the tips because obviously it's such a big percentage of mm. their their wage. Sure. But I would see thirty dollars an hour being paid in tips to some of the waiters. So when I looked at that, I was like, well, wow. it's not the nine dollars isn't the issue. They're tipping. They're still earning thirty thirty five dollars an hour. Wow. It's not so bad. Yeah. You know, you, they can whinge about the lower hourly rate, but actually where I was, maybe it was very unique, but they were still making good money. They were yeah. still making over a thousand bucks a week for a five day shift, which I think for a hospitality job, about a thousand bucks a week, depending on hours, it's a thousand dollars a week is nothing to be sh- Yeah. You don't get that in retail. I mean, no. unless yeah. you're, no. I, I don't know, I haven't done retail in forever, but it's hard. I think you can earn such good money in hospitality, I, I feel. Yeah, totally. Mm. And it's taken as seriously now. It never used to be. A lady said to me the other day, it hit me like a ton of bricks. She goes, oh, but what do you do? Like, what do you normally do? And I was like, oh, this. And she's like, yeah, but when you're not, like, when you're not doing restaurant things, what do you do? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. How do I answer that question without yeah. making her feel foolish? Yes. This is my chosen career. Yes. Yeah, I've been doing yeah like she years. doesn't think it's your career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. When I'm not doing this, I eat in other people's restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've been nearly doing it, like, 12 years, like you guys, and mm. I, I feel like it's a conscious choice. It's not, oh, I've fallen into hospitality, I don't want to do it. Yeah. There's enough opportunity elsewhere, but I choose to do it. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. think, and, and that's where I think you will lead to with tipping, mm. but building knowledge and having informed wait people or managers or sommeliers or bartenders, apprentices that have worked all the way up, people going out see the value, I hope, in that. And that's what breeds a bit of tipping culture. Sure. Because it's not your entry-level people it's people that go you know what i want you to have a good experience i'm i'm, I'm gonna do everything possible here for you to have a good time and people yes. respond to that i hope mm. i was thinking about it on the way here sorry to talk so long no that's cool but interrupt uh, but it's never seen as a bartering system i mean i was thinking what if people tipped at the beginning 
a, a nominal 10%, right. would that change the guest experience? I don't think so. No. I think that would, then you, you're bartering on it. And I don't think that's what it's about. But if you give someone such a good experience and they want to tip you, yes. I think, wow, mm. they actually want to go over and above because you've gone over and above, not because there's money waving in the air, but because, you know, maybe it's their anniversary and you think it's so important you bring them something to start or you go, fuck, I want them to have a great time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Someone's birthday, as minimal as it is, I don't understand it, a flaming little stick of wax changes people's lives. What does it cost? A cent, two cents. Yeah. But it's not the candle, it's the notion of, wow, I remembered it's your birthday, I remember it's your, your occasion, I want you to be recognised for that. Yeah. And then they go, oh my God, that's amazing. I think that's what it represents, a candle, isn't it? It's yeah. like, we're putting the light on you for Maybe. a moment. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what true right. hospitality yeah. is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. And, and from the beginning to the end, and you've seen it from everywhere, bar side, floor side, mm. you know, it's easy to tip on a drink. It's like people go, oh, it's $9, just take 10. Yeah. yeah just yeah. take 10. You yeah. tip in a cab, 14 bucks, oh, just take 15, I don't want mm. to change. Yeah. But then you don't tip your hairdresser. You yeah. don't tip you. I mean, it's such a blurred line. It's such a weird line. It's totally right. Yeah. So when you, when you guys go out in Australia, like, how often would you actually tip, do you think? <laughs> I tip when I go out um, if I genuinely feel like um, I have made a personal kind of connection and that person has gone over and above. Okay. Um, I'd, yeah, I guess I do. I do tip. And I, I tip to show my appreciation for um, being taken care of. Interesting. Yeah, and and it's if I don't feel like I've been taken care of, I won't. That's, mm. that's for sure. Because mm-hmm. yeah. do you feel like it's a more real thing here in Australia when you actually get really good service because you know that they're not just maybe pushing for that tip as hard as they are. In, it's not mandatory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I always tip. Right. Generally, generally like a standard ten percent in most restaurants and bars I go to. Okay. Um, but there is room in that for exceptional. I'll give more. Yep. But the opposite as well. If it was really crap, like yeah, I'm not going to give you a tip. Yeah. Like if my water's empty or not, or like yeah, right, exactly. Something's right. forgotten. Yeah. It's like man, you're just like over there on your phone. Like this is crap. You're not going to be here. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. about care. Right? Yeah, it's totally like, just care yeah. and like engagement and just. Yeah, just wanting me to have a good time mm. and doing, like, the, some of the best service sometimes is just, like, when everything happens, you don't really notice. It's magic. It, yeah, it, it, is. it is a magic trick. Yeah. I always see yeah. it. Like, when, when you know how the magic trick works, you don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. But when you don't know, like, how the hell does he know that I'm on sparkling? There's no indication on the table. And at the basic level, they've got their own little system going, you get sparkling, you get tap, you get still, like, yeah. Yeah. and it's seamless and it doesn't get made a mistake. It's just, like, wow. All my napkins folded every time I leave the table. Like, yes. Oh, I came back. Wow, that's really amazing. Yes. People notice it. And, mm. and I think beyond being looked after as well, if someone is not on their game, why should they get a tip? Like, mm. if you go to a retail space, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have your size. Thanks. Like, I really want these shoes. But, no, I don't know, man. I could look out the back. But, you know, whatever. You're not yeah. going to buy the shoes. Yeah. So why should yeah, you be totally. buying a steak off somebody that doesn't actually go, wow, this is some of the best steak, the best meat produced here, here, here. That's why you're paying 100 bucks. You know, building that expectation and building that experience, I think, is such a, for me, an important part. You know, you want to go somewhere. Why am I going to your place rather than your place? Why? 
because they're informed. They know what they're talking about. It's not a sham. It's not, oh, yeah, it's, you know, bullshitting. It's, it's actual experience. Like you were saying, you know yeah. how to cut onions. Yeah. You don't even, who cares about cutting onions? The consumer doesn't care. No. Mm. But you can knock it out quicker. You can knock it out better. Mm. You're actually building a skill for yourself. And, and I think that money might go to be a fund at the end of the week or whatever. Mm. But it gives you, a, not validation. I don't know if it's a validation thing. I feel like I tip wherever I go. But if it was bad service, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I'd be like, well, I don't see the value. I see it as a team. Like, you look, if waters are topped up, if people, yeah. if everything's yeah. busting and everything's moving, wow, it's pretty cool. It's a cool place. Mm. I'll go, I went to a really popular new spot recently. Table next to me had crap all over it for about 10 minutes. I was like, how? How yeah. is that even possible? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I care, but I think, you know, there's people walking past it back and forth, back yeah, and forth. Yeah, yeah. How are you not seeing that? Exactly. Yeah. How are you not seeing it as, as a waiter or as a, anyone, as a manager? How are you allowing yeah. that to happen? Yeah. You think, wow, it it's, makes me feel dirty. Cause oh, yeah, exactly. Hundred <laughs> oh, You know, yeah. and you feel shitty. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Oh, it starts niggling at you, though. It does. In your, like, as if you're working in a restaurant, you've got this order of service. What's my next biggest priority? That table needs to be right up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very true. The customer, well, first thing the customer says, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you guys are all similar to me in that whenever you are in someone else's restaurant, you're doing that order of service prioritization on their behalf anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can't, I, yeah, I'm terrible company in restaurants because I'm just like, I'm just trying to manage the, the restaurant <laughs> instinctively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even with like new staff that we hire and stuff, mm. it, I can see something, and not because I'm a professional in any capacity. I like I like what I do, but I look at things. I go, that sticks out to me. Yes, and that yeah. needs fixing yeah. on a table. I can yes. see it from a distance. I'm like, those yes. people are out of water. Yes. Where it's like, oh, yep. And it's not a fear-driven thing, but they go, oh, that's such an important thing. And being yeah. able to identify what you're actually looking at, because people can see something, but they don't see what it, the, the forest for the trees. Yeah, scenario. they don't. Yeah, they don't know. It's bl- as clear as day, but they can't actually see it because they're not conscious and they're not tuned in. So in a way, it kind of feels to me like that, that possibility or the promise of a tip for going above and beyond mm. might actually be incentivizing us to pay that little bit of extra attention or, you know, um, stay, stay a little bit more focused and in the zone instead of, you know, drifting off onto our phone. Do you think you would, you, you and your team would be able to maintain that level of care and focus if no one ever tipped starting tomorrow? Mm. I don't know. I guess that's a, it's interesting. Yeah, I think, like, for me, if I'm working on the floor, it's, I, I don't make the connection between the two between tipping and, and giving good service, I think like I just want to give good service. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't really make the connection, but maybe subconsciously it's there, I don't know. But I don't really ever think like, oh, I need to do this because yeah, it will pay off. Mm-hmm. I hope I never was that yeah. way when I was serving yeah. as well. I think that would be very hard. The incentive of that, and everyone says long hours in hospitality. Yeah, of course, mm. you could be long hours in accountancy as well. Yeah, but yeah. I guess demanding hours and things, you wouldn't do it if you cared about the money. Like, and and not, yeah. not just the money, yeah, yeah, but the yeah. tipping side. If yeah, you're like, true. oh, I'm going to get a tip for this. Yeah. I don't think... People are testing. People are hard. People are annoying. Mm. You'd just be burned. You just wouldn't even do it. Yeah. You'd be mm. like, oh, I'll just go work somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's a bonus, but I think if you're expecting it, you, you just hate yourself. Yeah. Mm. I, don't yeah. know, I don't even look, actually. I remember the first time I started working at Portenio, they gave me a packet at the end of the week or whenever it was. I didn't even know what it was for. I was like, mm. oh, 
So I took it, and they're like, oh, that's your, you know, your tip percentage. I was like, oh, how yeah. cool is that? Like, yeah. I, I, I come from cafes where you might get, like, take the croissants home or something, you know, yeah. that, that no one had used or, or what, no one had eaten, or you'd take a sandwich or, or whatever, but it was never a monetary thing. But no. to get that initially, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Why wasn't I working in restaurants, you know, before? Yeah. Screw this cafe stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it impacts... If you actually want to do it, I don't feel it impacts your service. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. Mm. But I'm sure there's the outliers and the people that rely so heavily on that that it does impact their judgment. Well, I notice it when, like, we hire an American staff member. Oh, and, and they're always like, mm. oh, fuck, I didn't tip or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're always man, keep going. Like, yeah, you gotta, yeah. Don't just forget him now. Like, Or on, like, a $1,000 bill, like you were saying, yeah, 20 yeah. bucks. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it seems nominal and I don't know I wouldn't tip that little on a bill if providing good service I mean yeah. if it was a thousand yeah. and I went wow that was amazing I mean people sometimes I guess you, what you were saying before mm. don't really have a barometer as to what is expected 10% maybe at all, yeah. Yeah. America 18% maybe 20% like it, it's kind of polarizing for people because they go oh I don't know what to what do people normally tip I've heard that question so many times I say I, I normally try to say whatever you think that would work yes. please feel free to yeah. just whatever sure but I think you can't ever put someone on that spot like it's and it's a question you don't want to answer how much do people normally do well, I don't know well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally what we used to do at Dead Ringer I quite liked yeah. um, which was we tracked our tips every day as a percentage of that day's revenue okay. and we would track that percentage as a, as a KPI for the team it's like oh, okay. if, if we made 7% tips on average today that was a really good day if we okay. made 3% that was a bad day right. but we kind of popped it around 5 so when people ask what do people usually tip I'd say we average 5% that's and that's that was a really nice yeah, honest really answer it was, that's honest. Yeah. it was really clear yeah. and it was like we average 5% you, but you, you go for your life like it's certainly not compulsory um, that's really funny because we've found that farmhouse is 5% is it? it is we're tracking it as well yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, gotcha. it's about 5% for us so I was going to ask you guys a hypothetical when you, when you go out and you have it. Let's say you have the food's bang on, but the service is quite. It's not bad, but it's pretty vanilla. Do you still tip? I think that's pretty impactful. Uh, I mean, uh, it's probably a, a little bit more obvious, isn't it? Because mm. like the food could be amazing, but then you're just blinded by what's directly in front of you. Yeah, totally. yes. Which is this grumpy person that doesn't really want to be with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes the food not taste which, as good, but you know. Which I think the business suffers. Like mm. that is horrible because I always say if the, if the food's amazing and the service is crap it's not on and if the food yes. is crap yeah, and yeah. the service is great it's still not on that's, yeah, right. totally. like, that's not a, a good business and I, I, I feel I don't know I think it's both as detrimental as the other yeah totally I agree do you think um, I was going to say do you think like if the if do you find with reviews that um, people will have one thing go bad or maybe the service is bad but then they'll try and back up their argument with even more things that they're picking on like oh right sure, to make it sound sure. worse yeah like to yeah, back yeah. themselves up like the service yeah. was crap this happened and the food was shit but it's like mm. yeah the food really wasn't shit like I read mm. a review on us the other day and I, I try not oh, actually I try to stay relevant and yeah. I do try mm. to keep up to date because I think everything's valid if someone doesn't have a good time for yeah, any reason they don't have a good time yeah. I want to know yeah. yeah you know and I think it's easy to throw stones on the internet because there's mm. no yeah. it's, it's hard to have a right of reply yeah but I was reading a review saying the food's amazing, this and that. Oh no, they said it was really good. Shame about that they moved locations, blah blah blah. It's disappointing that the food's still good. And I thought, How, what, what are you trying to get? Like, just because we've moved doesn't mean like our food quality's still good. And he's touched on that. He said 
food was still amazing. It's a disappointment, though. Yes. Why is it a disappointment? Like, was he hoping that we failed because we moved to a new venue? Yeah, food yes. Yeah. 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 Well, like, oh, that's a bit. I think I can kind of empathise <laughs> with that person. And, and I've um, had a really interesting... Um, kind of learning curve um, taking on this experience role and really started to realise that actually all, all I was the best bits of my job in my time in the industry were actually engineering and customer experiences um, just just like I do now yeah. um, so it, it, it really seems like an expansion of that mm. process you know like the best bit of your job is that is that machination and the um, engineering of a system that produces great experiences right yep. but that just like it is for me a counter um, in every restaurant that experience is a whole total sum of everything yeah right and it's it's not just the it's not just the food or the experience or the service um, it's also the building and you know that that customer remembers this certain magic that the Portenio site on Cleveland um, street it has was, was it was yeah. magic that room was 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 special and your, your new restaurant is very very beautiful but it doesn't i think maybe you'll concede that it doesn't have that same kind of grandeur, grandeur yeah, that that really cleveland good. street had so maybe that customer is is just expressing that difference you know mm. and and um mm. i can i can kind of understand that saying that i i do see it. like i i can i can agree i think it's it's always a changing landscape and it's hard to kind of fulfill every need but you're right I think customer experience doesn't just start at the food and the service it starts at walking through the door yes. someone welcoming yeah. you in hey thanks for coming like yeah, absolutely. when you open the door and they leave the bathrooms are clean you know they don't see mm-hmm. someone on their phone like mm-hmm. you were saying mm-hmm. I think you're right I, it does it does lead into a lot more than just what comes to the table mm-hmm. and I think that's interesting with Counter yesterday diverting a little bit but with Counter a system that you have with the now and the mains, for example, we were fighting back and forth between the kitchen which way we should do something or which way we should order something. And mm-hmm. uh, I said, we need to embrace technology. We need to allow the system to do what it does best. Yeah. And they're I like, yeah, but this works better. I'm like, yeah, but you, it, you're clunky with it. You, we need mm-hmm. to be streamlined. And counter for uh, this reason was so streamlined. And the reason that obviously this has been put into it is to do this thing that it should do. Mm-hmm. But the guys were fighting the change on it. And I was like, oh, you need to embrace it at some point. Because it's change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have to kind of keep moving and technology is moving forward and forward and quicker and quicker. And for example, counter we've just gone to, like you were saying. But I think it's changed our service model and the way I, I mean, we're still strict to what we do, but it's streamlined and I think I was talking to Nick about it. If you save two or three seconds here, two or three seconds there, next minute you're up to a minute, you can be at the customer. You can be at the table a bit yeah. quicker. You can sell another bottle of wine. You can yeah. talk to them about the meat. You can you can do so many more things if all those things are in place, which is very interesting, which I guess leads on yeah. to time, giving them more of an experience. Yeah, it's one of your most important commodities in a restaurant. 100%. It really is. Mm. And it's always fleeting, yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. in the kitchen side. Yeah. It's like, I need it now. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right. So I guess two more questions before we wrap up, uh, wrap up guys. Um, one I was going to ask probably a loaded question but do you think the taxation office is really going to crack down over the next you know few years about things like tax and that kind of stuff I mean we've seen the industry really change in the last two years especially with some big names in the industry you know um, being called out for improper wages and, and, and that kind of stuff which I think has been forever and ever what's happened yeah but sure. it's but now we've got a new generation of employee going I don't want to work 80 90 hours a week or if I do 
I'm going to get paid every one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what is the reasonable overtime and that kind of stuff, which is a totally different podcast and conversation. Um, but do you think the ATO is going to, you know, crack down on, on this kind of money coming in? We have some interesting insight on that um, with our kind of scaled perspective of the industry that we have at Counter um, yeah. because of all the data. Yeah. So, like, if um, one thing, one trend that is going to affect that is that, like, over the last two years, if you look at um, cash payments versus card payments, right, the graph just looks like an X. It's like crash, cash is just plummeting and yes. the card percentage is, is, is approaching 100%. Yeah. So um, I think the ATO has... Um, never really had a shit show of tracking mm. people's tax uh, yes. on their tips until now mm. when all that revenue will be in their counter yeah. and in their zero and yeah. um, you know and being they'll there will be a spreadsheet somewhere managing who gets what and yeah. it will be recorded mm-hmm. um, and you won't be able to, to get mm-hmm. away with it for much mm-hmm. longer I think mm-hmm. um, and it'll be really interesting uh, what effect that has on the culture I, um, I think that's pretty hard to predict mm. yeah yeah, great, yeah. Great. I think cash is definitely king always like yeah, yeah. years ago it's like you were saying it's easy to give cash and you don't declare cash cash just is cash yeah but with Albert and all those things there is a spreadsheet somewhere now like there's data being recorded everywhere so yeah. I, I think it potentially is a matter of time mm. I know you were saying a minute ago as well about um, uh, in the states adding instead of paying tips, adding it into like uh, the Danny Mayer side of things. Mm. I think it's an interesting thing. And another restaurant tried to do it and it, it failed. Oh, it didn't fail, but they decided not to do it anymore. So building it into the pricing, which obviously pushes the pricing way up, mm. yeah. but to make sure that their staff's looked after. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's okay if you've got the, the name and the, the presence to tell people. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's right. It is interesting. And they have a, Danny has a massive platform, right? Yeah, exactly. I went to Maylino and Grey Mercy in New York last year. Oh, right, best meal I've ever had. Yeah, hands down, and the bill was expensive, right? But I still wanted to tip, and they wouldn't let me tip. And as a as a consumer wanting to tip, knowing that is the culture in America, I actually felt quite bad that I couldn't tip. Yeah, interesting. That's yeah, it's like a different because that was literally the best meal I've ever had, and I told them all that. And got to know probably six of the servers and the bar people by name during that because I was there by myself eating. Did you have a few drinks, Sean? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few uh, uh, free drinks as well. And um, no, but like a simple thing I did was like um, I don't I, I didn't know what dessert I wanted, so I said you choose. So then they bought me two plates of what they liked at that point in time, mm. so I could have half of each. Right? You can't. Train that. That's just no, an instinct. No, like we yeah, talked totally. about the fortress. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just an instinct and gut feel. So it actually felt bad for me not to be able to tip in that situation because mm-hmm. I really wanted to. So yeah, interesting. Mm. Yeah. What are you guys going to do at Arthur? Mm. Um, so because we're such a small business, we're only going to be thirty-five seats and mm. have six staff members. Okay. Um, and our service is a bit different as well. So where um, the chefs will also serve the food. So the split with tips shouldn't be like what it is in normal kitchens. Yeah. Um, all that, all, yeah, all our chefs will be trained at least to the base level of wine as well. So when they take food out, if someone says, can I get another glass of Pinot? They actually know what it is. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, cool. in that sense, we're going to be pooling tips and splitting it evenly among everyone um, okay. based on the days you work, essentially, cool. which I think, you know, I've been a chef, I've worked on the floor, 
I earn way more money when I work on the floor and <laughs> I'm a way better chef than I am a waiter. You yeah, know? Yeah. I've been cooking yeah. for a very long time and you know, tips definitely have helped me when I was earning not a lot of money. But um, you know, it's it's just one of those things like the service is really really an important thing and chefs forget that as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I think that's definitely uh, that's an awesome idea. Yeah. I, I mm. think knowledge is where money comes into play. I feel totally. Again, going back to that other thing, if the if the servers or the waiters or the front of house know as much about the food as the back of house. I think that is so empowering. Yeah, Likewise, coming the other way, mm. it, it's only going to do well for the business. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think people want to strive for more. And they want, well, most people want yes. to strive for more. <laughs> people who want to be in the industry. All and the they time. want to know, and they want it. They don't want to go to a table, and they don't. I, I don't know what that is. Yes. Like shit, they don't want to get caught like that. Yeah. Well, I, I know I don't. Mm. Yeah. But I think maybe the incentive of tips from our side of things is I'm always building knowledge I say guys if, if we're going to move forward and you're going to make more money then we need to be able to add value and the way we add value is knowledge yes. it's really the only way yeah, totally. you can fake it for a small amount of time but if someone knows about their premier crew burgundies and things like, and you have no clue you either be honest with them and say I'm not sure let me get you someone yeah. or you educate yourself on it and you learn more and yeah, more totally. and more mm. which then you know again saving time on the floor you know you don't have to get someone you know it's really interesting that you're, um, so if, if I understand correctly, you're using the point structure of the tipping um, system to actually incentivize the staff to upskill themselves. Absolutely. Well, I, that's the way I see it. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel like yeah. if, you're, if you're front of house with us, you need to have a certain amount of knowledge. Of course. And if you're coming in as a runner, why, not that you shouldn't get it, but you should be striving to learn more because you will be a waiter in this restaurant one day. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. we need to educate you through. We don't want to turn and burn you. We don't want you to come in and just set tables for five years and go home. Yeah. We want you to come in, wow, this is what it can be. I guess that's the whole, not apprenticeship, but when you guys are starting a kitchen, you don't get to saute a bunch no. of crazy stuff. You don't get to plate. <laughs> no. it, it's, it's you really have to go the full way through. And I think for to build an experience in a restaurant or in a bar or, or anything like that, the glass polisher, if he's brand new, you can't let them talk to guests straight up. You, yes. or, you, or you can but you need to do that background work so that the experience isn't hindered when it comes to the table because the expectation of the diner never decreases. The only thing that can decrease is the knowledge and the service given to that person. Yes. I feel. They don't know he's a glass polisher. Exactly. And, of, and also, I'm new that. here is not an excuse. No. And, and <laughs> yeah, you, you don't yeah. want to hear that at Rock Pool Grand I'm new here. I don't know yeah, what's happening. I know what's going on. What? This yeah. is costing me what? And you have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Likewise, imagine going to an accountant or a lawyer. What about this? Oh, I'm oh, not too sure. Not too sure. It's <laughs> my first Just year of accounting. Three hundred dollars an hour. It's like yeah. you would lose your mind. You, you wouldn't see the value. But I, I think what the cool thing in all three of you, what you've done and what you've created in your own venues or worked in, is you give me people opportunity. And I think you're really doing that because you got given that opportunity. True. You know Definitely. what I mean. I and that's the really cool thing about. And that's how powerful a, uh, an industry like hospitality can be for people because I think it really changes perspective in people's lives. Anyway. My last question for you guys, because that could be a whole long conversation. Um, the wage issue in Australia, right? With regards with hospitality and people getting paid correctly, not getting paid correctly. If you are getting paid a ward and you are getting paid by the hour, you're getting paid very well. Very well. Especially if you're working on a Sunday. Um, for a public holiday. Do you think it's going to be... It's just going to happen in Australia where the tipping culture will come in wages will go down 
in order for the venues to stay open over the long term? Or will people have to pay more money for their food? There's probably two questions in that. Yeah. Because something needs to give. Uh, I agree. You know? Yeah. Tristan, do you want to start? Yeah, I think I've, I've been saying for a couple of years that the, the price of food needs to go up. Yes. But... Coffee always, especially. Yeah, but there's mm. always going to be someone who's going to just do it cheaper. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like, you can go get a great meal in Chinatown way cheaper than you can... Yeah. You know, in yeah. South Hill. So, like... Yeah, I think that, I mean, Mike and I were discussing it this week, maybe everyone as a whole industry just needs to put up their prices by 10%. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but that's yeah, not going to happen. It's easy. not going to happen. Yeah. It's an easy solution, but yeah. um, it's, it's a marketplace. It's a free market and mm. people will only pay what they like deem is fair. And, um, you know, you can charge more for things when you back it up with knowledge and service and in a nice room and all that kind of stuff. So... You know, it, it, it's like what you're saying, upskilling and making that experience better and... Adding value. Adding value. Yeah. That's where you can charge more. Mm. And then you can pass that on to your staff, you know. Um, but, you know, a lot of restaurants are also starting to incentivize staff with less hours, particularly yes. for chefs. Yeah. Like, uh, we're talking about working mm. four days a week instead mm-hmm. of five. And mm-hmm. they're four big days, but, you know, three days off a week is pretty good. Pretty sweet. Yeah. You actually have a life and... You have a girlfriend and all that kind of yeah, stuff. That's not just nice. like yeah. I've lost enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, I think it's changing in, in that way. Maybe um maybe the prices won't change so much in the very close future, but yeah. I think um as guys come through the ranks and open restaurants that have been on the the tail end of that culture of ship money for heaps of hours, yes. They'll start to find creative ways to incentivize their staff and yeah. make a better work-life balance for people so. yeah i um at counter we're like extremely aware of this pressure everyone is under right every yes. every single counter customer is running close to the line in some way or another yes and we see a lot of people who open businesses and close them unfortunately mm-hmm. um, and we are really trying to trying to wrestle with that problem and figure out how we can help and i guess the way we see it is that the technology we build can enable you can enable an efficiency in your business that actually allows you to um, you know, run with one fewer staff member, maybe um, every shift. Uh, you know, if we're, if your courses have really streamlined your operations, maybe you can run with a slightly leaner team every day and um, and then pass on that saving to your team. Um, so uh, yeah, I think as well. I, I think the price pressure. Um, because of the reasons you spoke about, Trace, about someone always is going to undercut you, right? Yeah. I think price pressure will. Um, won't I don't I don't think the industry will ever yeah. put its prices up yeah, by ten percent. So. I can't see it happening. Yeah, no way. Um, but but I do think that technology can enable those businesses to shave ten percent off their operations. Yeah. And and if yeah, totally. you can shave that ten percent off your operations, then then there it is to pass on to your team. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the best operators that we work with are, are doing that and using using technology to do it. Yeah. I think for the most part, business owners want to look after their staff. Definitely. You know what I mean? It's not like this big guy who just cares about profits. It's like, for the most part, I think they really care about paying people properly. And well, well, I hope that's true. I, I, think, I, I it, think so. If it is true, I think it's very, very new um, and, and maybe a, a developing trend. Um, I still think a lot of the industry is, um, is pretty behind on that. Yeah. I think it will go through a big change. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of carnage and a lot of badness over the next five to ten years. I'm, yeah. I'm really worried about private equity firms bringing in a lot of money to these yeah. these great chefs, you yeah. know. Um, 
and, and we need to see how that's going to play out. I think for you guys at, at smaller venues, where yeah. obviously it, you can just feel, for me, not you know meeting you today, like I just know you're going to do the right thing. No, I feel this is what you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, true. No it's private true. equity in the future. No. For tenure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's detrimental to our business. Or our business, like yes. it's not restaurant specific. We're all in it together. Yeah. Like yes. we all have prices, yeah. um, or are involved in the industry. But it doesn't benefit me hiring new people because I'm burning old people. Yes, I'm trying to get these people to believe in what I believe in and work the way that I like it to be done because I real I, I feel like it's the best way that we do it. Mm, yeah. Um, if I'm training someone every week because I just couldn't be bothered paying them or yelling at them, I, I came from a culture of a bit more. Leniency. I mean, I've done a lot of bad, a lot of bad things. I've done a lot of things. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Or yeah. learning. Yeah. But I've never been scolded in front of anyone. I've never been yelled. I've never had a pot thrown at me. I've never yeah. had those things. Yeah. I've been maybe yelled at behind closed doors about why, yeah. whatever. What did you do that for? Yeah. But I think you, you, when you were saying maybe a tissue gets thrown at you yeah. or, or whatever else, it's we're leading away from that real hard line. I hope, and yeah. maybe we don't add value in. Like we don't increase our prices, but mm. we don't pay anyone more, but we make their lifestyle more approachable. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, four days a week, mm, and you do longer days, and maybe mm. you get a prep cook in that's maybe on a lower. I, I don't know how that mm. would yeah. work, yeah. but to give more of a balance, and not only earning more money, but like you were saying, with kind of stripping back and and refining the way that we're doing it, yeah. making our processes leaner. Totally. You know, without compromising the quality or the the expectation that people have. I mean, yep. we should keep our quality at high. But it's, I often think about it, it's not what we're earning; it's what we're actually losing. What we're throwing away with wastage of wine, actually having mm-hmm. wastage calculators and things through counter, yep. and being able to track it. How much did we waste that day? How much have we gone through? How much have we ordered? Is someone nicking a bottle? Like, yeah. what's happening? We did this wine thing the other day, and one of the guests actually walked out with a case of wine. Wow. Apparently, we couldn't find it, and then we were looking over it. Did that? Did it get taken? We wow. couldn't equate for it, and that could have been a lot of profit. Yeah. But maybe we streamline that procedure, and we lock everything <laughs> away. I mean, whatever it is. But in counter, I think you can see the figures so it's a bit easier years ago it was all pen and paper and when I started all our lists and everything were on paper most definitely and I I struggled to change I I didn't want to but I think maybe that's where the change is yeah there's definitely room in that because then you come to work you've had three days off you have a girlfriend now which is nice or or, or however it works you come in and you want to do more you want someone to have a great time you don't come in bitter and angry yeah exactly two in the morning I don't give a shit anymore yeah. And again, making it a nicer work environment. But, but change that culture from like, it's almost a badge of honor to work a lot of hours in some, that old school way mm, of thinking. That's a very old school way of thinking. Now, that's very true. Yeah, but like change that to like, yeah, I just had three days at the beach. How good yeah, do I feel? Right, <laughs> I worked out the house last week, I smashed it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, it's always been in kitchens that I've been around. It's like, I've been here 100 hours this week. Okay, someone told me they've been working 120 hours the other week. I was like, whoa. Come Ow. on, like it's possible. Yeah. Like, yes. That's impossible. But it's yes. like I was here before you. Like who cares? Yes. We yeah. should we should harbor an environment that everyone wants to be in because I think that translates. Yeah. It, it comes across like you're smiling. It's like, yeah. You're great. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. It's yeah. not like I'm harder than you or. Yeah. I feel yeah. I feel that's got to die. I feel that has to change. Yeah. I, I think so. I agree with that as well. Um, I'd also just like to point out that I think there are new restaurants opening that. Uh, innovating on the way they've actually engineered their customer experience um, to be more efficient in total. And I know that you've, you've thought about that a lot in your business. Oh, totally, it's like yeah. the, whole, the whole way your business is designed from the ground up is about lifestyle. 
yeah. and is about and is about um, is about providing you and Beck a, yeah. a lifestyle that's yeah. sustainable yeah. Um, for for you and Beck and your team yeah. and your community of customers. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a really exciting trend that I see in the, in the hospitality industry. Mm. Um, I spoke to a, a new um, sorry, it's not actually a new venue, but she's moving over onto Counter um, in New Zealand, and. Uh, at the end of the chat, which had gone really well, I asked her, you know, what's your what's your five year plan? Like, what's what's the end game for you in this business? Because I want to see you there. And she said, um, well, actually, you'll laugh because we have a negative growth plan. So in five years, we want to reduce our seats by twenty, and then in five years after that, we want to reduce our days of the week by two, and then in five years after that, we'll be able to shut. And I'm just like that well, is such an interesting dream. Like yeah, right. that is that is it's like anti business, right? Yes. And it's like it. Yeah, I, if every counter customer had that attitude, that would would be out of business. Yes. But, um, um, so we're really excited by you know working with Portenio Group, who are expanding rapidly, yes. opening two new restaurants yes. coming up soon, which is really cool. Um, so maybe I maybe I shouldn't like spruik that trend too much, but um, I totally respect her position, and um, I want to go eat there. That's for sure. Isn't that a similar business model to like Os Harvest? I'm pretty sure they're trying to do that. Sure, but they're, like, they're actually a not-for-profit, yeah, which yeah. is a bit different. Yeah, but, but yeah. they're like, well, we just want to change things so we don't have to do And don't this. have to do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so true. And I th- I, I, definitely all that kind of does re- revolve around experience and tipping. I mean, it's all such an integral part of everything. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, I think that's an incredible business model, mm. really. Like, me too, right? Everyone... Mm. I'm like, take me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think everyone's wanting for more. And I mean, Sydney's got so much knowledge now I mean people like we were saying before consumers they're expecting more they're wanting more restaurants are trying to give more whereas I feel there was this little place I went to once and they only did work till 12 o'clock when they ran out they closed the doors and they left it was just like a small bakery Mm. I thought that's pretty cool they're not increasing production they're working to the end of the day they're not doing more they know what they need they know what they want to do as soon as they hit it they're happy. They go and have their afternoon or whatever yes. it is. Yep. They're not stuck lumped with fifty croissants that they can't sell that yep. they've spent all morning doing. Yeah, totally. they're just very content with what they're doing. Like yeah. Iggy's Iggy sourdough. It's my one of my favorite examples. You try and get into Iggy's account, right? And they're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting list, buddy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, 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 you, you can't. You yeah. can't I'll buy Iggy's bread. <laughs> like, the only way it is in Melbourne as well. Yeah. yeah the only way yeah. to buy Iggy's bread is to go there and wait in line with all the other muppets, and That's it. you know, and it, like see what happens. Yes. Creating demand. Yeah. Hope. That's it. I mean, yeah. Creating That's demand. Creating demand. And which you know then could be a higher price, which is part of the experience. Sure. Um, which means people can be paid correctly. Mm. There you go. Well, yeah, I think we're doing the same thing when we open Arthur. We'll be doing a set menu only. Yep. In just two sittings and. Nothing hurts me more than, as a chef, than like mm. ordering food yes. and prepping it all day yes. that may or may not get ordered. It's yeah. just like, you know, see what happens. just see what happens. Yeah. It's, it's disheartening. It's completely mm. disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll have to have another episode on the, the death of the a la carte menu. Yeah, <laughs> oh, true. It's mm, very good. I was thinking one more thing just yep. before we on. on too long. Mm-hmm. But this, uh, oftentimes you go to a restaurant, I'll go to a restaurant and people will... I don't know, I've known them from somewhere else and they'll bring out some desserts and things like that. I feel the mentality of people wanting to tip because of that. But yes. I've always been with my guys or the people that work with us or my friends, I don't, I don't tip because of that. I tip because of other reasons. Mm. You know, I don't tip because... I think it's very easy to blur the line. I got free stuff, I should tip. Yes. I don't think that's a correlation. I don't mm. think it should be a correlation. No. Yeah, I point. think it's generosity 
and then you tip for another reason. But people always go, oh, what should I, they gave me three desserts and four of this, and what, yes. do, yeah. what do I tip? It's yes. like, well, it shouldn't be based on no. that. And I think you shouldn't try to garner tips yeah. because of that. It should oh, be based on what you feel. If I get them this, they'd give me money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a shitty feeling. Yeah, but it's a blurred line as, as well. Totally. It's a really tricky one. And what about if you um, got a discount? Should you tip on the full freight? Exactly what you do. <laughs> I mean, you, you, this is so interesting because there's so many inconsistencies. Yeah, like, totally. What's not rude? I think that's what Sydney is like. What do I tip that's not a rude amount? Yes. That will come across that I'm gracious. Yes. That I'm not giving you too much. It's this. Mm, they won't want to kick you out the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next time I come, are they going to bring me bread again? You know, yes. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, I hope it's not based on that. I hope it definitely. And in five years, reading earlier mm. talking, I wonder. I wonder where it will be. I mean, mm. you say chaos, uh, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Could be in this spiral that it just perpetuates itself and gets worse and worse. Mm. I think it will go into carnage, unfortunately, in some in some way, shape or form with the higher ends. And I think it will come to a lot of venues like you're doing, Tristan, where it will be smaller, yeah, um, more bespoke, and we'll, we'll get an industry which the customer deserves, but the staff never deserves as well. And the kitchen. I think the kitchen, the floor, the customer. Yeah, that's a great experience. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting. Sean, do you see... Uh, I, I'm just interested, sorry, while, yeah. while we're still on the clock. Yeah, do, you, sure. do you see a difference between Melbourne and Sydney in terms of tipping culture? Obviously very different, very different sure. dining cultures. It's, very, it's a very good point. I think there are more... I think there are more higher-end casual venues in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I think there are more higher-end venues in Sydney so and I think Sydney will naturally lend itself more to tourists uh, international tourists which will therefore mean there's probably more of a tipping culture here interesting um, I will very rarely tip when I am in Melbourne um, unless I go to dinner okay so I've done a lot of work with um, uh, a brand called Abacus in Melbourne who have arguably probably one of the sexiest venues in Melbourne um, but they've got very much a restaurant and brunch component to their brand. Um, but I, yeah, I'd be interested to see how many people actually tip at that venue um, compared to like if you go out to brunch in in Melbourne, I don't think you'd probably tip. Mm. Yeah. I don't. It's <coughs> see that's funny because I don't. I wouldn't tip when I go to a cafe for br- for brunch. Yes. But if I go to a restaurant for a fancy brunch, yes, I will. Right. How yes. funny is that? <laughs> totally weird. Yes. Yeah. Like, cause, and, and fancy brunch is, is a thing now, right? Like, people, you know, yeah, um, totally. St. Peter in Paddington doing, oh, yeah. doing brunch for, well, it must be a $200 brunch every time, right? And Let's get up there. Yeah. <laughs> not that, not that, <laughs> not that I'm good, judging. Yeah. I want that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, and, and more power to them. Yeah, um, totally. And, you know, the Dead Ringer brunch experience is, is, is a mainstay of their business now. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and an awesome experience for the customers. It's beautiful. Um, so we, diver- we diver- digress. Yes. Boys, um, thank you so much for joining me on today. I know we could talk for a lot longer, but uh, I want to let you go as well. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Um, really appreciate it. We will link up all the bios of everyone's venues so you can follow them as well. So, guys, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, thank you cool. Sean. Hey, guys, Sean here again. Love to know what you think of that new formatted show with our three guests. Uh, I think it's a really great example of how great these podcasts can be. So excited to have Counterpoint of Sale now working with us uh, on these podcasts. Why don't you hit us up, either Open Pantry Consulting 
or counterpoint of sale uh, on Instagram. DM us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what was your favorite bit. Let us know what you what you didn't love as much, so we can uh, we can factor that into the new ones that come through. Our next one, uh, episode fifteen, is a fantastic one as well. It's talking about the emerging technologies. Uh, of the customer experience and how they're going to change the hospitality industry. So I hope you're going to enjoy that one. We've got three great guests again. Uh, And just thanks so much for your attention. I really appreciate it a lot. Take care.